Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Turn to Ephesians 1. We'll get there in a minute. I'm going to continue on with um, this little series that I started a couple weeks ago on expectations, which your expectation is really just another way of saying your outlook on life, your worldview. I think of Proverbs 23, 6 and 7, where it says, don't eat the bread of a miser. That literally, that word miser means an evil man. Don't eat, and that means don't have fellowship. And verse 7 says, because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And sometimes we, we, we want to engage things in life that look good, sound good. Remember Proverbs says there's a way that seems right unto a man. That way leads to death. There are a lot of things that look good, sound good, and, but they're not good. Well, that's really what your expectation is. It's changing the way you view life. And, and making your view of life line up with what the Bible says and what God says. Because let's face it, there, I, I, I've used this um, illustration or this comment before. There are three of me. Now, I know there are three of me in that there's spirit, soul, and body. But there are also three of me as far as there's the me that you see, which I'm kind of selective in what I let you see. I don't let very many people in past the, the presentable me. Amen? You hang around with me long enough, you're going to see some things that aren't presentable. But I still maintain a pretty good facade most of the time. There's the me that I think I am. The real me. If you ask me and you get me honest... I, I could, there's who I think I am, and, you know, sometimes that part of me, I, that's why I have a facade. That's why I have, and I say a facade, I don't mean to be fake, but let's face it, we, none of us want everybody to see us totally unblemished. We don't want to see people to see everything that we think. You know, there are science fiction movies where you have people that are, are um, telepathic, and they read the minds of everyone. <laughs> I don't want to know what you're thinking. I'll be honest with you. Because half the time I'd either be embarrassed or I'd be offended. You know, sometimes, and, and, and I'm not saying that to fault you. Because I'll tell you, I have a lot of thoughts that never get translated into actions. Because I recognize that thought's not right. It's part of what Paul said. Take every thought captive. We just can't let our, our thought life run wild. That's why we need to work on our expectation. But then the third me is the real me, and that's the me that God sees. Now, I don't know that I've manifested that one yet. But in the end, God knows more than I know. And I need to mold my expectation to match what, how God describes me. 
whether I can live up to that potential or not. And I'll give you a hint. You can never fully live up to that potential. But it's something to grasp at. It's something to strive for. Amen? Now, we started this, and, and I am going to get to Ephesians here real quick. We started this with the, the, the word um, prosdecomai, which we looked at first in Luke chapter 2 with Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna met the baby Jesus in the temple on his eighth day. Mary and Joseph brought him to be circumcised. And those two people had waited expectantly. That's prosdecomai. Pros means to lean in. And dekomai means to accept something and embrace it and make it your own. These two people, uh, don't know whether they, they probably knew each other. I, the temple was a big area, but you hang out in a big area, you know, for years, you're going to learn the people around you. So I'm sure they had at least met and knew of each other, but they both took the expectation that the, it's time for the Messiah to be here. And I don't want to get way off in end times, but if you go back in Daniel and you read, God told them that, you know, from the, uh, a, um, from the declaration, I want to say Darius or Extarxes, I can't remember which one it was, there were going to be 470 years and then Messiah will come. They could tell time, and they knew we're getting really close, really close. So there was a general expectation that it's time for Messiah to show up. The Jews knew their, I mean, they, they kept really close records on, on genealogies, and they kept really good calendars. They knew what the year was, and they knew how long since that declaration might have argued few years either way after four or five, you know, over 400 years. But they knew pretty close. So everybody's sort of expecting a Messiah, but these two made it their quest in life. That's what God's calling us to do. We looked in Titus chapter 2 and in Jude 21 that looking for that, looking for the return, we're not looking for the Messiah to come in the sense that he came the first time. We are looking for his second coming. But I live my life today as if he's coming today, but I plan my life like he's not going to come in my lifetime. If that makes sense. I live moment to moment why, why Jesus said, don't take on extra cares. The cares of the day are sufficient for the day. Quit worrying about tomorrow. You can't change tomorrow. You can't change how tall you are, what you look like. I love this, or I don't love it. I actually hate this thought process. But <clears throat> I have never met, and, and I'm going to pick on the ladies here for a minute because it's more obvious to them and to everybody else. I've never met a woman yet that was satisfied with her hair. None. If you have curly hair, you want straight hair. If you have straight hair, you want curly hair. If you have blonde hair, you want brunette hair. Women are never, and, and guys, I, I will, you know, there are a lot of guys that will spend a small fortune to take hair from the back of their head and put it on the front of their head. 
you know, I, I'm not, I have some vanities, hair's not one of them. I'm, I'm kind of glad that there's not much up there. There ain't a lot to mess with in the morning. I haven't used shampoo in 20 years and I like it. <laughs> but those things are, are not important. Those have, being satisfied with who you are. Because, you know, in, in, on the outside, I'm a 65, or six, excuse me, is that a birthday? 66-year-old fat man with no hair. And between my, my ears, I'm a 17-year-old kid with a full set of hair that can still play basketball with the best of them. It's only when I get up and try to move like that 17-year-old that I realize my body, my mind can write checks my body cannot cash anymore. But my expectation is still needs to be over where God's expectation because looking for His returning soon. He could be here. If, if He comes back this afternoon and I'm thinking in terms He's coming back today, I guarantee you my life's going to be different than if I think, yeah, i got another 10 years. Let's face it, we all like to procrastinate. I want it done now, but I really, you know, maybe after my nap. Having an expectation of the soon coming king will help us to, to clean up our life. That's what Titus 2 and Jude 21 are telling us. But... What do we base that on? That's why I told you to go over to Ephesians. Give me a second, I'll catch up with you. But in Ephesians chapter 1, this is what we're supposed to lean in and grasp and make our own. And I'm going to read through, I'm going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to do my very best not to get hung up, because I'll tell you, there's so much in Ephesians that just... We're going to end up down here in verse 11 and 12. When it's, you get to this point, Martin Lloyd-Jones was um, the pastor of Westminster Chapel. And he has a five-volume set on, of commentaries on the book of Ephesians. He wrote five chapters. Five chapters on the inheritance. <laughs> it's part of one verse. And he wrote five chapters on it and never repeated his thoughts. There's so much in the book of Ephesians. If I, had, if I was going to be on a desert island and I could only have one book of the Bible, this would be the one. Well, I'd be hard-pressed between this and the book of Romans. But there's so much in the book of Ephesians. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, your station in life, your call, and all of us have a call, is by the will of God. He, he called you for a specific purpose, which tells me you matter. And that is important because if you think, well, it doesn't matter if I show up at church. It doesn't matter if I speak to this person. If I don't, somebody else will. Maybe not. Maybe they'll die and go to hell because you didn't, didn't follow the, the prompting of God to say one little word. I just listened to on the radio coming in here, um, I forget the station now. They're playing Christmas music. And I said last week, you know, I don't start early. I wait till the end of July to turn on my Christmas music. But as soon as the radio starts playing Christmas music, that's the only station I go to. 
Well, they were telling a story, a testimony of a guy who was, he was desperate. He was, he was ready to commit suicide. He'd already decided, if God, if you don't give me a sign, I'm out of here. I'm going to go home. I'm ending it today. And he went through the drive-up window at McDonald's. And when he got up to pay for his order, the, the cashier said, the guy in the car ahead of you paid for your meal and asked that I tell you, have a blessed day, that God loves you. And it saved his life. Buying somebody a happy meal and saying, God bless you, saved a man from committing suicide. It, it, it's sometimes small things that you don't think anything about that can be transformative in someone else's life. A God moment only comes at a specific time. And sometimes God doesn't beat you over the head with a sledgehammer and shout at you and say, go talk. Sometimes it's just a little prompting. It's that still small voice in your, in your inner man. And it does, it's not like you have to, to preach the entire gospel, quote the entire book of John. Just, you know, you see somebody that's obviously upset and you stop and say, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. That's 99.99% of the time that's what they're going to answer you. And all you have to do is say, well, I just want to let you know that I care about you and God cares about you. That's it. That at least tells them there's another human being on the planet and there's a God in heaven who cares about them. It doesn't have to be. And, and I know we walk away from those encounters thinking, that didn't do much. May have done a lot more than you know. End of verse 1. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Chapter 2, he's going to tell us that that heavenly places, we're seated there right now. So we've been blessed with everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's already ours. And it's mine in Him. In Jesus. And remember, in, I think it's John chapter 17. Jesus goes on and on about the Father is in me and I am in the Father. The Father and I are one. Well, Aaron will tell you, if you know anything about, math, about mathematics, it's an axiom. If A equals B and B equals C, then A and C have to equal also. Well, if Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus and I'm in Jesus and I'm in the Father and the Father's in me and Jesus is in me. We're all mashed up together. Well, God, you, you think you're, you're God. No, believe me, I know I'm not God. But I know that God took me and elevated me and made me like Him. My job in life is to chase after that and try to live up to that. Amen? Let's read on. Verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That's what I wanted to get to. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now drop down to, um, well, let's go to verse 7, just for time's sake. In verse 7 it says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace 
which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Oh, it's so hard for me to go past this because there's so much in there. But let me just say the dispensation of the fullness of times, that's where we're living right now. We are there. In the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Now verse 11. In him we also have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained. That, that little word there, obtained, there are a couple of different words in the New Testament that are, are translated obtained. One is clero, which is what this is. And it, the root of that word means dice or lots. It's how the, the priest would cast lots to determine the will of God in the Old Covenant. And basically what, it, what he's talking about here is this is our lot in life. This is what has been allotted for me. We have obtained, we have been allotted an inheritance. Everything that God is, everything that God has, He said is your lot in life. Now the world will tell you your lot in life is to be miserable, stupid, broke, sick, abandoned. We have entire political parties dedicated to the purpose of convincing you that the world is out to get you and we are the only answer that you have. And I've, Political parties are okay, but I don't care if you are a Democrat, Republican, conservative, you pick your label. None of them are out for your best interest. If it comes right down to it, they'll save their self first and you second. And while they're saving themselves, they'll clean out your pocket. This is why the wisdom of, of our, our, um, um, our ancestors that set up our nation, they just knew, man, government will never be right. Ever. And it, I, don't care, I don't care your political philosophy. You've got to look to God to get blessed. Because the government will disappoint you. People will disappoint you. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents will all disappoint you. Because we are all lost. We are all fallen. And we all come up short. But God never does. And He says right here, I've given you all of this. You already have it. It's your lot in life. Being predestined. That literally means, it's, it's, it's the Greek word, and I'll, I don't have this one down in front of me, I'm going to mispronounce it, but it's pro um, horizo. Pro meaning prior, horizo means a limit or the horizon. And what he says, when he says this is predestined, it doesn't mean that every event in your life is already set and you can't check it. If it meant that, then you've done away with free will 
and we're just all automatons and, and God's created some of us to go to heaven. God's created some of us to go to hell and you might as well just live any way you want because God's predetermination. You're either going to make heaven or hell either way. Doesn't matter how you live. Yes, it does. The predetermination is God looked out at all the boundaries of all the possibilities and he said, I'm going to take these boundaries and I'm going to push them back to where my boundaries are. If you want to test what your inheritance is, if you can find the limit to my ability, that's the limit to your inheritance. I'll give you a clue. You're not going to find a horizon on God's abilities or his possessions or anything about God. He is limitless. That's our predestination. We are predestined. We, he has set that we will go as far as we will believe Him to go. That's it. The only limitation we have is, putting, is if God has something that He cannot do. And there is only one thing that God cannot do. And that's lie. When God says, this is it, it's it. He, can, he cannot change from that because if he changed from that, his character would be that of someone who's changeable and he's not changeable. His own God, the only limit you can ever place on God is he is unchangeable and he never, ever lies. Well, I'd love to have that be my only limit. Amen? Guess what? It is. The real me, the real man on the inside of me is just like him. It's only because I've got this fleshly body that I have limits. Thank God when he comes back, I'm going to get a different body, different quality body. And I won't have the limits that I have now. Amen? But I have to live as if that's who I am now. Let's go back and reread verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. It's already ours. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now this word counsel, there are, this was the one, I'm sorry. There are two words that are translated counsel or judgment. Sometimes you will find this translated judgment in the New Testament. This one, excuse me, is the... Um, the, the Greek word here means it's, a, it's something that I decided and nobody pushed me. I just said, this is it. This is where I have determined that things are. There is another word, and in fact, um, I'm going to go a little ahead of myself, but jump over to 1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 1, verse 10. This, this word here for, um, for counsel is the word Greek word bole, which it's a counsel, it's a judgment that's based on God's determination. He decided, we read that in the first part of, of Ephesians 1, He decided this is how things are going to be. He didn't have to learn anything. He didn't have to decide anything. He just decided, this is how I'm making it. This is where we're going. He did that before the foundation of the world. Before He created the universe. 
the Godhead met and said, this is what we're going to do. Nobody can, no, I mean, I, I laugh sometimes. I've had people, and, and sometimes word of faith people, we come across as arrogant. I'm not arrogant, but I'll tell you, when I see somebody that's sick and I go to pray for them, I get, I get determined sometimes, and I get vocal. And I'm not, people, I have had people tell me, and I've had it said about others that are even more determined than I am, well, you think you can just make God do anything. No, I'm not trying. I'm, I'm, I'm not stupid. You can't make God do anything. But you do have to enforce God's will on the devil. I've said this before. There are three ways to approach the three aspects of our life. When we come to, to God, you come on your knees. You come humbly. Now, there's also a side issue to that. In Hebrews, uh, Paul says, come boldly before the throne of grace. I can also come into God's presence the way my grandkids. I, I love it. It's, it's funny. Gina and I will FaceTime with my son's kids in Texas. And the baby who is now six. Uh, if it's just me in front of that camera, the first thing out of his mouth, where's Gigi? If Gene is in front of the camera and I'm not there, the first thing out of his mouth, where's Gimpaw? Well, when, when we get in their presence, when we went down to Florida a few weeks ago to, to have Christmas with them, I don't care what your physical state is, you better brace yourself because when that boy sees you, he's coming and he's coming as hard as he can. And he's going to get two feet from you and he's going to die for your arms. And you better just brace and grab him. I don't care if it's going to hurt or not. He's coming and you've got to catch him. Because he wants a hug. He hasn't seen me in, in you know, months and months. And he just comes and he wants to embrace me. That's how God wants us to come before the throne. When you come with that attitude that, I haven't seen you, I want a hug. God, says, God just throws his arms open and says, come on. Now, from my side... I also come with the knowledge, this is God. And between him and me, I got nothing to offer here except dirt, grime, and stupidity. So I, I have to mix both of those together. But then when I come as a Christian and I come and, and butt up against you as other Christians, I have to come humbly also. I have to prefer you over me. If we have an issue, if, 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 and believe me, we all got issues. You, can, you don't have to dig very far, and you'll find a doctrinal issue, uh, socially, you'll find something that separates you. And the world will always amplify your differences. But as Christians, when, when God calls us together, and this is where we're headed, when God calls us together, he says, I don't want anything about, hear anything about your differences. You're here, I'm here. If I look at you, and let's face it, we all have this attitude. If I look at you and we've got a difference, in my opinion 99.9% .9 of the time is, I'm right and you're wrong. Because I'm smart enough to know if I think you're right, I'm going to jump over there and agree with you. I mean, only a fool disagrees when he really agrees or is disagreeable when he's really agreeing about an issue just because he won't admit 
that he was wrong, but now he's changed his mind. But if I think I'm right and I think you're wrong, I have to live my life as if you are right, so as to not offend you. That's a requirement. Paul says it. Let the strong accommodate the weak. Well, if I think I'm right and you're wrong, I'm in the position of strength and you're in the position of weakness. And I have to live as if you are right so I don't offend you. That's required. It doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong. What matters is, is can we live harmoniously? There was a movie years ago. Matthew Broderick was a teenager. I forget the name of it now. But in, in it, he, there was a supercomputer that they had unwisely given control of all the nuclear weapons. And it thought it was playing a game. And it, it actually had weapons on, ready to fire them. And they were trying to convince it not to fire the weapons, so they treated it or, or gave it a game to play, and they gave it tic-tac-toe to begin with. And if you're halfway, have a brain, tic-tac-toe always results in a draw. And it played that for a while and realized, wow, nobody can win this game. And then it started playing the nuclear game and realized that in a nuclear war, nobody wins. And it, when it did all this, it, it made this comment, and this is where I was headed. It made the comment, strange game. The only winning move is to not play. Well, when you, when you have a potential conflict between you, and this really works between husband and wife, between friends, when you have a potential conflict right there, the only winning move is to not play that game. Give in. Quick. Before you have a conflict. Amen? That's God's call to us. But when we approach the devil, I come at him from a position of arrogance because he's beneath my feet. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places and he has no rights in my life. He, has, he especially has no rights in my family's life. You want to see the, the bad side of me? You come after my wife or my kids. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit, I'll get in the flesh real quick. You'll see, you'll see the, the temper side of me, and I have, I've got a temper. I have learned over the years to control my temper. But as a teenager, I got in more fights than I can count until I realized that, you know, I'd win the fight sometimes, probably lost more than I won. But even when I won, <laughs> I came out of it bruised and battered, and finally with my lightning fast mind, I thought, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? I always end up hurt. Even when I win, I'm hurt. Well, that's how we are with each other. Even when we win the fight, we get hurt. So just don't fight. But when it comes to the devil, I've already won the fight. And I have to impose God's will on him. But my expectation has to be, he's already lost. And when I command God's will, that's why when I pray for the sick, I don't ask God to heal them. He's already healed them. I command health to their body. But what if they're not healed? That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to lay hands on the sick. My responsibility is to rebuke the devil because he is rebuked. And my responsibility is to sell them the truth, which is you are already well. Jesus already paid the price for that. That's the inheritance that we have. That was the counsel 
that God determined before the foundation of the earth. This is how it's going to be. But now for us, 1 Corinthians 1.10, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. This is the first letter to the church at Corinth, which Paul's correcting them. These are not really very mature Christians. They got a lot of divisions, a lot of schisms, a lot of problems. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm part of this group, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Baptist, I'm, you know, Reformed, I'm Apostolic. We got lots of that going on today. Amen? In verse 10, Paul says this, Now I plead with you. (laughs) When he says plead, that's the word parakaleo. He says, I'm coming alongside and I am begging you. King James says, I beseech you. Paul's pretty much on his knees. Please, please, please just listen. I've come up here to talk to you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I want you. And he calls them brethren. I'm pleading with you, brethren. And I'm just, it's not just me, but I'm pleading by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's me, Paul, but I am a mouthpiece for God right now. That you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. You can only do that if you ignore our differences. Which is exactly what God wants us to do. He says, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. This is the other word for judgment. Um, Naomi, Naomi, excuse me, nome, which means a judgment you make after you're educated. You have to get some information to make a nome. That's why God used the, in, in Ephesians when it said after the counsel of His will, after the judgment of His will, it was bole, because God didn't need to learn anything. Before He ever created the universe, He said, this is where we're going, guys. This is what we're headed to, and we're going to get there. For us... We are constantly renewing our mind. We are constantly learning. We are constantly changing our lifestyle. The old saying, if you ain't learning, if you're not going forward, you're going backward. Because we're in a river and the river, we're we're swimming against the stream. So if you quit swimming, you're going to go downstream. Because the current will just pull you along. We do this through our knowledge. Paul is telling us, he's commanding us, you need to determine in your own Christian life and in your Christian thoughts and words that you say the same thing. How can we all say the same thing? There's only one way. Because remember, this is, this is, this is a command to the entire church, not just a local church. Now, he was writing to the Corinthians But the application goes worldwide. Well, how can we all speak the same thing? We all speak the Word. Paul said in Romans, I believe, therefore I speak. My words ought to be reflecting what I want. What I want God to do, what I believe God has already done for me. If I'm not speaking the Word, and by that I don't mean you're actually quoting a verse... 
I mean, you're taking and interpreting God's scriptures and you're making it yours. You're embracing it. You're prodecomying it. You're squeezing it in and saying, this is mine. I said earlier about my grandsons, sometimes they don't want me to hug them because I squeeze tight. And why? Because they're mine. And I don't get to see them. I've told Matt and Tiff and I've told Ryan and Nadine both, when, when, especially when Ryan and Nadine were moving to San Antonio, I was not a happy camper. Where do you want me to live then, Dad? Where do I want you to live? I have a house with a house on either side. Matt and Tiff can live on one side and you and Nadine can live on the other side. That's where I want you. And I want my, I want to just, let's just connect them with a hallway. And the grandkids or you can just come in anytime. That's my ideal life. Now I realize that's not how it works. But I want full-time access. And when I don't get full-time access to my grandkids and my kids, when I do see them, all the more I want to grab them and hug them. That has to be our attitude. It's God's attitude towards us. We have to embrace this and, and make it mine. This is God's word to me. And if we're all speaking the same thing, we can still have differences. I've said before, there's only one doctrine I will get testy about. And that's the doctrine of salvation by faith and faith alone. That one I'll argue over you, with you. But I won't come out of fellowship with you over it. Now, let me, let me rephrase that. The, the verse I quoted earlier in, in Proverbs 23 about don't eat the bread of a, of a miser. If I have someone that um, does not believe in the new birth, they're an atheist, an agnostic, or they just, you know, they have that a doctrine, universalism, I will fellowship with them, but I will fellowship with them to try to be an influence on them. But it's a different type of fellowship than someone that I fellowship with that we agree on the basic doctrines of life and we can share. And I will let them speak into my life as well as me speaking into their life. With someone that I know is not saved or someone that I know is in gross darkness where their beliefs are keeping them from getting saved, I don't let them speak into my life. Amen? But it doesn't mean I cut them off. And for God's sakes, I'm certainly not going to cut someone off because their politics are different. And I don't want to get over into politics because I could get in the flesh real quick on that. But to, to, I mean, there are people that had family feuds at Thanksgiving over, you know, Donald Trump being president. Uh, who cares? What I think about him or what I believe about him doesn't change the facts on the ground. The only thing that has a possibility of changing the facts on the ground is my prayer life and what I believe God to do. And God's commanded me in, in the book of Timothy to pray for my leaders. Amen. But notice, let's go back to, to um, Ephesians real quick. Chapter 1, verse 11, We have obtained this inheritance that God predestined or preordained 
according to His will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. God has, has set all this out, but it requires us to trust in Him. We have to believe it. If, if we, just because God has done His part does not mean that I do not have a part to play. Now, the interesting part about this, you would think, I would think, by the way this is read or, or written, that the Greek word for faith and for believing is pistio or pistis, depending on whether it's a verb or noun or whatever. This is not a form of the word pistio. This is a form of the word ellipso, which is almost always translated. In fact, if you have a modern translation, NIV or one of the other ones, this is probably translated hope. This is more akin, what Paul's saying in verse 12, is more akin to your vision, your expectation. Because remember, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's the Greek word ellipso. It's something that's out in the future. It's where you're headed. He's saying here, we that first hoped in Christ, meaning our faith follows our hope. Where I think I'm going, where I, the picture I have... You've seen this in, 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 uh, if you, when you learned how to drive. One of the skills, and I hope you've, if you're driving actively, I hope you've learned this skill. One of the skills that you need to learn to drive is that when you look off to the sides, you don't steer towards, towards where you look. And having taught my kids how to drive, that's not easy for a new driver. They're driving down the road and the, something distracts them and they look to the left and suddenly they're steering to the left. You have to train yourself to keep your car steady while you look elsewhere. Paul's saying here, you need to train yourself. When your circumstances death, your circumstances say destruction, you have to train yourself to keep your hope fixed on Him. Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. My faith can only follow where I'm hoping, what my expectation is. Amen? Paul, we just read it here, Paul said that, that we are to speak the same thing, that there be no divisions. When we divide and we feud and we fight, that just gives place to the enemy. And he comes in and destroys. Abraham Lincoln said it, <clears throat> and it wasn't his thought, it was a God thought. A house divided against itself shall not stand. He got that from Jesus. We have to stand together. Let me close with, with these couple of verses. Psalm 133. All th the entire psalm, three verses. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 
to have no divisions. Verse 2, it is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. This is when, when Aaron was anointed. You, when we anoint with oil, we put a little on our finger, maybe make the sign of the cross, put a little oil on your forehead. Believe me, if we anointed the way they did in the Old Testament, they took a jug of oil and they just turned it up and poured it. And it ran down on their clothes. I would get sued if I did that. But what it's, what it's picturing here, that oil, oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. It's picturing the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And He soaks into your, to your, your hair and your skin and your garments. He just doesn't affect you. He affects your outer life. That's what your garments are. And it drips down through your entire being. Notice verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. This is the only place in the Bible that I know of where God commands a blessing and it's to those that are dwelling in unity following the and being anointed by the Holy Spirit and allowing that anointing to permeate their clothing, their outer life, living like they really are saved. Now, the interesting part here, Mount Hermon is 9,000 feet high. It's, it's the highest mountain in um, Israel. It's snow-capped. Snow on Mount Hermon all year long. Now, <coughs> this is also um, Deuteronomy, and you don't have to go there, verse 4, um, the end of verse 48, or chapter 4, the end of verse 48, um, Moses is setting out boundaries. And at the end of that verse, he says, even to Mount Zion, S-I-O-N, that is Hermon, Hermon, the mountain that Psalm 133 refers to. Mount Hermon is also Mount Zion. That Zion, it's not Z-I-O-N. Mount Zion is in the city of Jerusalem. But it's also saying that Jerusalem, the place where God has picked to dwell in, is equivalent to Mount Hermon, where there's always cool water. Proverbs 25, 25, I love this. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from, from a far country. That's why one of the reasons Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to the least of these, you've done it to me. He's saying bring refreshing to a parched soul. He's not physically talking about water. Although, if you live in a desert land, water is very important. And cold water is even more important. That, that reference there, the only way you can get cold water in the summertime in Israel, you got to climb Mount Hermon. And you take a bucket and you stuff snow in it, and then you hike back down, and when you get down, that snow will start to melt, and you're, you will have ice water. It's the only way in the ancient world you could get cold water in the summertime. And if you really loved someone, you might climb that mountain to bring them back a glass of cold water. 
In fact, um, in in Second Samuel, we don't need to go there. Verse twenty or chapter twenty three, it talks about when David he was at having a um, a battle or was in the midst of a, of a conflict with the Philistines, and the Philistines had encamped and captured Bethlehem, and that is David's birthplace. And David just said casually, man, I wish I had a drink of water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. Meaning, I want to capture this city. I'm tired of these Philistines living in where I grew up. This is my town. Not the devil's town. It's not the Philistines' town. Three of his mighty men looked at each other grabbed their swords, their shields, and just walked out of the camp unbeknownst to David. And they went to Bethlehem, battled through the Philistines, threw a bucket down in that well, grabbed that bucket up, and walked back to David and handed him this water and said, Here, this is some water from the well in Bethlehem. And David started to drink it and said, I can't do this. This water represents the life of you three men that you risked to bring this to me. And he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. That is what God has called us to do. He has called us to, to be a, a, a breath of fresh air to someone who's stuffy. To be a, a glass of cold water to someone who's parched. To look at our, our brethren whether they call themselves Baptists or Pentecostals or Methodists or Apostolic, I don't care the label. I'm going to, if they call on the name of Christ, they are my brothers and my sisters. And I've joked before, you get really upset with another Christian, God's liable to put you, make you room together in a mansion for the first 10, 20,000 years. I think by the time we get there, we won't worry about those things. But now we do have to be concerned. And I have to look at myself. I have to look back at 1 Corinthians 1.10 and, and, and ask. God has told me here I need to, to walk in, in love and walk in fellowship. I want God's blessing on my life. I want it more than I want anything else. Well, we were talking in men's prayer yesterday. Um, um, Joe Thompson was talking about the situation he had been in. He was out in the world dealing with some guys at a pawn shop, dealing with some guys that had, he had to get a towed car out of a, an impound lot. And he was dealing with the world. And, and, and this is a paraphrase of his attitude, but at the end he basically said, you know, when this was all done, I thought, what a horrible way to live with, for these guys to live. You just want to take a shower. And he said, how do you change that mindset? And, and that is most of the people in our city live in that mindset. And God just spoke to me. And he said, there's only one way you can change that. You can't change that through programs. You can't change that by, by teaching people to, to do stuff. You can only change those people's life by the manifest presence of God. It's the only way you can change it. It's why we need... I want people to stop out on 31 and call the fire department because the fire of God's sitting on this building. I want them to drive by and say, there's something going on in there. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go check it out. And they'll either be, be attracted or repelled. 
I hope they're attracted. But even if they're repelled, at least we've done our job. But that can only happen. God commands the blessing where there's unity, where there's acceptance, where we have the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's not something weird. I guarantee you it will be weird to the world. The world will look at us. The world already thinks you're weird. You might as well just embrace it. I've dealt with too many of my family members. They look at me and they know. It's one strange duck. But you know what? When they have a problem in their family, I'm the one they call to pray. I'm the one, because they know I take this stuff serious. I'm not right in a lot of things. And believe me, you have no idea the faults that I have. Because I don't let you know. And I'm not going to let you know. But I got more than one of them. But... I have enough sense. If God says it, I'm going to do my best to see it manifest in my life. Now, will I screw it up? Absolutely guarantee it. I'm going to fall flat on my face. But I have learned one thing in life. I only can advance by keep moving. Life, you don't win the race of life by stopping walking or running. You win or you lose the, the race of life by falling down and not getting back up. And believe me, when you fall down, the world's going to be right there telling you you're just a hypocrite. You're worthless. That's all you Christians are, hypocrites. You don't live the way you say that we should live. Well, hopefully our lifestyle does match our, our mouth, what we confess. But I will tell you, your, your lifestyle never has a chance well, it, will only, it can only improve and live up to what you confess and what you expect. That's where your faith is. And that's what we need to do. We need to determine, I'm going to get into this Word and I'm going to figure out what God's will is for my life. And when I figure it out, I'm going to believe, therefore I will speak, and I'm going to start declaring. I may not make it a public declaration, but in my private time... In my prayer time, you better believe I'm going to be declaring, this is, what, this is what God said is mine. And I'm going to have it. And the de- and devil, just putting you on notice right now. Get out of the way, because I'm coming on. You get in my way, I'll run you over. And if it, if it takes three-fourths of the angels in heaven to beat you back, that's all right. If God has to create a couple of million more just to fight the fight that I'm picking, He'll create them. God hasn't lost the formula for creating angelic beings. And even if the devil can fight through all those angels, when he gets to me and he has to stand toe-to-toe with me, he's got me, the Word, and the Holy Spirit to contend with, and he's already lost that fight. We need to walk in love so that God, and walk in unity, so God can command the blessing. Because believe me, none of our theology is perfect. We've all got our problems. We've all got huge gaps in our knowledge. And I want to take my expectation and put it out there so that I'm constantly pushing forward. Paul said it. Forgetting the things that lie behind, but pressing onward to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCC.
indianapolis.com.